0: Hey, everybody, Doug here. Before we get started with the show, I want to tell you about a new book that Peter and I have published called From the Earth to the Moon, the Miniseries Companion. If you love space and space exploration and movies and television shows about space and space exploration, this is for you. If you think you've read it all and know everything there is to know about the moon flights, we want you to think again. Uh, In 1998, the landmark TV series, From the Earth to the Moon, aired on HBO in 12 episodes, told the daring story of NASA's Project Apollo to put humans on the moon. Our book provides a comprehensive and detailed analysis of each episode of the miniseries and covers Apollo from start to finish and then some. It's more than a simple episode guide. Our companion reevaluates the entire Apollo program, both within and outside the context of the HBO series. We review the choices that the filmmakers made regarding the actors, special effects, and historical accuracy in every episode. We show what they got right, what they got wrong, and what they didn't tell you about each of the historic moon flights. Um, we cover all manned Apollo missions, the creation of the lunar module, the Apollo One fire and its aftermath the personal and professional highs and lows of the astronauts, and lots of key NASA personnel. As an added bonus, the book includes an in-depth interview that I did with Andrew Chaikin, author of A Man on the Moon, the book that was the basis for the entire miniseries. It also includes 35 great images, many of which I can guarantee you've never seen before. Um, you can buy the book on Amazon, BarnesNoble.com, or any of the book reader platforms. Uh, again, uh, we hope you check it out and uh, on to the show. Thanks. All right, uh, lift off and the clock is started. Yes, sir, reading you loud and clear. You've
1: got speed, John Glenn.
0: Okay, everybody, welcome back. To The Right Stuff Companion. Uh, we are up to episode 7. Uh, Peter is here as always and I am Doug. Welcome Peter. Welcome Doug. Um, This is episode 7, Ziggurat, uh, which is uh, directed by Andrew uh, Bernstein and written by vinnie wilhelm and danielle roderick which originally aired on november 13th of 2020 um good old Vinny wilhelm <laughs> you know has this show been renewed for a second season
1: um i don't know i, I don't think so but i'd be pretty surprised
0: yeah that's interesting frankly. you think you think it won't
1: be renewed if if i were a betting man and you know, I've only lost my livelihood a couple of times being a betting man, but I would bet that it's not.
0: Yeah, I guess it just depends on how much they committed first, you know, like before they even made the the first season. Um I, I you know, I looked I can't find viewership numbers for the show. That stuff's all proprietary these yeah, days. You know, but I just it does make you wonder, you know. Uh, for listeners who like um, sort of the way Peter and I work, we we did the Mind Hunter companion for the Netflix TV show about John Douglas and the sort of behavioral science unit at the at the FBI, FBI. looking for serial killers. But but that show essentially got canceled as well. Was it two or three seasons? That they had two seasons for Mind Hunter, right? Uh, but they they, for all intents and purposes, did you know they're done well because the
1: the showrunner who's a big hollywood director um basically is back to doing other stuff
0: right whereas this i don't know if this got the ratings hmm.
1: yeah i don't there's nothing online basically um you know that says anything so nobody's Nobody really knows. Well, um, actually, well, they're they, they saying say that, that they're shooting a second season, but that's, yeah, there's actually, no details. they're
0: saying that they're if they well, I see it says if they make a second season, will be filmed in California.
1: Yeah, but there's no details on it, so then this is all the
0: rumor mill. I don't know. I actually hope they renew it. I'm, I'm not. I mean, supporter.
1: it's got some backers like you know Leo DiCaprio. Um, and uh, you know, Appian Way. I ain't afraid of dying. Person. I did it already. Yeah, I mean, you know, Appian Way is Scorsese's um, yeah. company, so Which they're is one probably of the...
0: linked with the Leo somewhere. somehow. Probably. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I'm, I'm gone. I, I hope there's a season two, but uh, I mean, otherwise, it just sort of ends like at the best part, <laughs> like literally, like they're actually starting to fly in space. Well, All right.
1: I think they're actually gonna gonna just uh, do it, kind of a, um, a spinoff, or they're gonna merge with Astronaut Wives Club for the next season.
0: <laughs> they could call what could they call like the Right Astronaut Wives Club? Astronaut mm. wives stuff. Astronaut wives right club?
1: No, just astronaut <laughs> wives know. stuff. because um, that's what people really want to know about in the astronaut yeah. wives club, anyways, about their stuff.
0: Um, I don't really even get that joke, but I'm laughing. Me either, uh, So we begin, we begin with the Bay of Pigs. You know, they don't really explain it. Do you want to? Can you give like a two sentence summary of the Bay of Pigs for uh, viewers who don't know? Uh, so, in what was it,
1: 61? It was shortly after Kennedy took office. It's 61. JFK, and uh, there'd been a revolution in Cuba uh castro took over right and Mm -hmm. uh, bautista was basically kicked out who was a dictator that the u.s supported and um so basically there were a bunch of rebels who were part or tied to the old not the old regime you know and castro was a communist revolution the u.s backed uh supported and equipped these rebels and they landed on uh at the bay of pigs which apparently uh doesn't have a bunch of pigs there but it's just a place on a map and um, (laughs) I was disappointed to find out (laughs) but uh, they got roundly defeated about four seconds uh, by by Castro's troops apparently so uh, it was a little bit of an embarrassment for the U.S. for kind of for JFK particularly, and it probably is one of the things that led to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah,
0: it made us look soft on communism. Right, and between that
1: and Yuri Gagarin, um, we were not looking very, uh, we, we didn't have a lot of bragging rights, let's say, in a, at a time when people were very sensitive to that. It was really the the height of the Cold War. You know, Nikita Khrushchev had been at the U.N. banging his shoe on the, uh, on the lectern, Saying that we will bury you.
0: Right. Um, so uh, the Bay of Pigs is all over TV. They're worried about their benefactor, Kennedy, who they're already worried about. And then um, Kraft, he goes to Al's room in the middle of the night and he sort of gets him out of bed. And there's like a girl out of focus in the background who is not supposed to be Louise Shepard. Um, and, and he is informed that Kennedy is now backing NASA. Like they now, uh, you know, like they've they they need a win. Like there's no other way to say it. They they need a win against you know communism and in the public sphere. So uh, the answer is you know Al, uh, Gus and John, right, and the rest of them,
1: except for <laughs> right. uh, except for Deke Slayton, <laughs>
0: right. The other ones are kind of like. Remember on Gilligan's Island, they'd be like, you know. Like they, would like the Gilligan, and the skipper, to the millionaire's wife, and then they would go and the rest, you know, and like Marianne and uh, the professor were Ginger. just the rest. Yeah, no, no she was the movie star. She was called out, but the then they changed right. it later on to the professor and Marianne. But in the beginning, it was and the rest. By the way, Don Wells, who played Marianne, died this week of COVID. Oh man. Yeah. I was definitely much more in the Marianne and the ginger camp, but I think that was kind of the point.
1: I think everybody was.
0: Well, I think Mary, I think ginger had her aficionados, but yeah, I think, I think part of the point was that, you know, Marianne was more approachable. Yeah. She and was the girl next. She was the girl on the Island next door.
1: Yeah. If, if the girl was hot, <laughs>
0: My brother and I were so little when we watched Gilligan's Island we didn't even realize it was a farce we took it totally seriously wait that wasn't serious <laughs> um, So I took um, the love boat
1: seriously too <laughs> that was even
0: worse it was truly you know like the love boat made Gilligan's Island look like Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> Alas, we just watched poor Gelagan. We were we just watched everything. I knew him Horatio. We were completely like un um, undiscriminating, shall we say? Dude, like, there were was six on, there we were six channels. It. And know, one of them was PBS. <clears throat> right, which we never watched. So there were five channels. <laughs> Reading Rainbow. <laughs> okay, so uh Kennedy is <laughs> we're really all over the map today. Kennedy is now backing NASA. Al is first, John in his backup and we get the obligatory Al Shepard in the simulator scenes. Um, uh, Jerry Cobb we sort of then we jump to the Jerry Cobb story and uh, Trudy tells her daughter that she may in fact be uh, you know joining Jerry and becoming one of the female uh, astronauts just sort of a, it's a nice scene for Trudy and the daughter to have a little bonding moment over it.
1: The troubled daughter who's smashing into cars when she's closing her eyes on her bike. Yeah,
0: I do, by the way, uh, I do like the the Mercury Simulator. That looked kind of fun. Like that, that, the multi-axis trainer doesn't look so fun. Like the Mercury Capsule Simulator, that looked pretty fun.
1: Yeah, well, you um, don't get to the Mercury Capsule Simulator until you make it through the multi-axis <laughs> trainer. <laughs>
0: um... um we see the astronauts in a bar and they're sort of talking about uh, like we see the also ran the the other four in a bar and they're sort of talking about you know uh female astronauts and they're they're pretty down on it you know
1: yeah except um, gordo gordo cooper because of his wife is right
0: exactly he's he kind yeah although like the other guys kind of Yeah, the other guys kind of piss all over it. Um, And then um, we have an interesting uh, scene where Al Shepard comes into the bar and he, he, he sees Kraft at the bar. So Al doesn't go over to the other four and he sits down with Kraft and he basically says he doesn't want Scott Carpenter to be Capcom um and he sort of openly bitches about carpenter to craft um and then we find out in a scene or two later that carpenter is in fact out as capcom and and you know this this also plays i think a little bit into the fact and we'll see if they get to this in season two but chris Kraft also did not like scott carpenter like he felt that carpenter was way too unfocused and too distracted and and if we ever get to in season two like uh carpenter's flight leads to direct conflict with craft and ends with craft winning and carpenter never flying again um so you know you, i think they may be laying a little bit of the seeds for what could be shown in season two here um the other thing is that uh Al also has a copy of one of Glenn's letters. Yeah, he knew that was going to get out.: Yeah, he says that uh, that Glenn is not the only person with friends in high places. right um, and uh, And Kraft tells him essentially, I'm aware, and Glenn has been warned about this like he's been spoken to but he doesn't say who spoke to him or the extent of that conversation but he says his exact words craft says to al he says he knows to stand down which is interesting i mean you know and to flip it over you know um shepherd is to make they kind of portray shepherd in a little bit of a three-dimensional way in this scene is you know He says, like, even in his rage at John Glenn, like, he says he's talented, he belongs in the program. Like, he's able to sort of say, like, yeah, there's good things about him, but you know, he's my backup and I can't trust him. Like, he says, like, he's the one checking my straps when I get into the capsule.
1: Yeah. Right. You, you, he's right.
0: He's completely right. And again, there's not a lot of times in this series where you sympathize with Al. Right? right. Exactly. I, mean, I think we've kind of established that Al's a super difficult person to be around, which <laughs> is apparently, you
1: know, you know, as we talked about last episode, is is real. You know, is right. is one of the things that the series uh, got true to life. You know, Shepard was was a tough, was a tough, difficult guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to meet a lot of the Mercury astronauts and hang out with them. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with Al Shepard, but. Um,
1: I think the Mercury astronauts probably, they really are the roughest crew. I think you, well, I would rather hang out the, the,
0: other the Apollo next. or the Skylab astronauts.
1: <laughs> the Skylab astronauts are probably the coolest, for sure. The coolest astronauts.
0: Well, I think from our perspective, I think I think most of the world has forgotten about you know, for example, you know, Carr, Gibson and Pogue, <laughs> but you know, you and I are like crazy enough to pay attention to Skylab. But uh,
1: that's because in a, you know current day, they basically were floating around um, in an empty rocket booster, smoking a joint <laughs> um, for like two months, which is cool.
0: I, I think, honestly, I think that Skylab would have been amazing. Al Bean. Al Bean, who was the lunar module pilot on the Apollo 12, who walked on the moon with Pete Conrad, Al Bean was the commander of Skylab 2, and he said many times that he was much more proud of his work on Skylab 2 than he was of walking on the moon.
1: Yeah, Skylab had <clears throat> yeah. the advantage of basically being like an afterthought, and it just didn't have that much attention. And yeah. consequently, because of such low expectations, it it almost it just achieved a ton that just had no attention.
0: Well, and it gave them this ability to do these long duration missions, you know, like it was basically it was one month, two months, three months for Skylab one, two, three, which, you know, at the time they were huge, you know, endurance records, but yeah, I agree with you. you, These are the roughest guys. And I think they're also there, you know, these are people who came up in a rougher time, right? Uh, Right. A lot of these guys had seen combat, right? You know, like a lot of these guys had been, you know, korean war aviators you know like they were just a rougher crowd as opposed to people who came up more through engineering circles as opposed to pilot circles right or pilot engineer versus regular pilot
1: right well Um, a lot of the a lot of the, the second crew um was like that too right but they were also uh veterans and and been in combat but i think that that wasn't the center of who they were, even though they were test pilots, you know, like Neil Armstrong. It's a perfect example. I mean, that guy was reserved and very much engineering minded. Yeah. You know, very different personality, right? Than, these, than the Mercury astronauts.
0: I think Armstrong referred to himself as an engineer first and an astronaut second. Right. You know, like it was funny because after he walked on the moon, Armstrong became notorious for not giving interviews, but he would, he would respond to engineering questions. Like if you wanted to ask him about the landing skid on the X-15, he'd write you back. If you wanted to ask him about walking on the moon, you never heard back.
1: Right. And I think Um, one of his first jobs was he went to be, he was dean of like one of the engineering schools in the Midwest. Ohio, in Ohio. I don't know if
0: he was Dean. I know that he started off just as a regular engineering professor.
1: That might've been. Yeah. Um, But I mean, you think about, he was the most famous man in the world.
0: Yeah. For a long time.
1: Yeah. And he basically was like, please leave me alone. I want to (laughs) go teach engineering.
0: I want to divorce Jan and be with another woman and be left alone. Teach engineering in Ohio. Um So we get back to the show. Uh, We see a sweaty John Glenn out on his uh, morning jog, as we said earlier, to control his weight. Um, And he gets back to the Starlight Motel where he runs into uh, Scott, uh, where he basically tells him that, you know, he's out as Capcom. Um, And Glenn, without actually divulging what happened between him and Al in the letters... Glenn gives Scott Carpenter some good advice. He essentially tells him to eat it. And he tells Scott, don't make my mistake without actually conveying to him what his mistake was. And then uh, Scott tells his wife, Rene. it looks like Renee, but it's pronounced Reen, um, that he is not going to be Capcom. And, and Scott and Reen clearly recognize that this is a significant setback and that Carpenter's reputation has taken a hit in the program. Yeah. Um, there's a really interesting scene uh, that comes up next that I think is actually maybe one of the best scenes in the episode where, where Glenn Lunny tells the astronauts that they will be launched live on TV, right? The pressure is on the United States doesn't hide this stuff. And and they they sort of speculate that maybe others had flown and died before Gagarin survived a flight, and that's actually kind of a popular conspiracy theory that there were other attempts before Vostok one, and Vostok one was you know named Vostok one only after um, Gagarin returned. Although I, I've looked into this a fair bit, I don't think there's any real belief that Gagarin was not the first. Uh, person to fly into space no they had great
1: engineers and they had better boosters than nasa you know and they right. sent, they sent the dogs up you know
0: yeah no but i mean like the soviets lost cosmonauts too along the way during sure. flights but uh but i like if you go on youtube or you look around like there's plenty of people writing and talking about like mystery mystery cosmonauts who died before gagarin although i don't personally i don't believe it at all well there's also plenty of people let's say the moon landing was faked <laughs> plenty of very. i'm always amazed when somebody who's otherwise super smart and educated you know espouses the theory that the moon landing is fake like it would cost more to fake the moon landing than to actually do it i think like That's i always say so that the, appealing the, about it the Yeah, I would say that the most convincing argument that the moon landing was real is that it's boring. Like if you watch, and again, I love this crap, but most people don't. But if you watch the EVA videos of the astronauts on the moon, it is just hours and hours and hours of rock collecting and sample number scribbling and photographs. And I mean if they were really going to fake it, they would have made it a lot more exciting than hours and hours of guys collecting rocks.
1: Maybe they were just really brilliant at faking it.
0: Good job, Kubrick. (laughs) Um, And then we kind of come to this, uh, this awkward scene where the men uh, do like a press conference. um, And they get asked about, what they think about uh, female astronauts, right? And then uh, Gordo, who can never pass up an opportunity to, like, stick his foot all the way down his throat, says, we sent up a chimp, didn't we? (laughs) Oops. Uh, And then he sort of shrugs and goes, may as well send up a lady someday. And all the reporters laugh, and Trudy is just, just horrified. Uh-huh. He makes fun of how the women would look in a spacesuit, suit. Um, and like, there's this scene where as soon as he says it, like he knows like, oh crud, maybe I went too far with that. And Trudy is just sitting there with the girls watching it. And she is just stricken.
1: Yep. He's not going to score a lot of points at home with that one.
0: Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm I'm not giving anything away because it's all a matter of historical record. But, I mean, a lot of the show is based on the fact that, you know, Gordo had to really, really, really do a huge amount of work to convince Trudy to take him back so he could be an astronaut. What the Right Stuff movie doesn't say and what they haven't said here, and we probably won't know till next season, is that... In real life, you know, after Gordo flew in Mercury uh, and and Gemini, he and Trudy divorced. Right. So, you know, the the marriage lasted as long as the sham and the artifice was needed. Uh, And then they did divorce. And then he actually very shortly thereafter remarried. Interesting. So after the press conference where he's completely bollocks things up, he calls home and then there's this sort of heavy handed scene where that just shows the phone ringing in the house and nobody answers. And you are led to believe that this is because Trudy is pissed, but we will find out later it's because of something else. Um, we then uh, are, we then sort of, uh, we're getting closer now to the time of Al's uh, freedom seven flight. Uh, Gilruth is, definitely feeling the heat and the stress. Um, The weather is very borderline. Uh, They're all sort of looking at the skies. NASA still wants to go, but it's unclear if the flight is going to happen. Um, And then there's a really good scene. I'll be curious what you thought about this scene where Rean Carpenter confronts Louise Shepard at the motel about uh, Scott losing the Capcom. Spot, and then she's so mad, Reen, and she's so like, like, just like raw that she just dumps in Louise's lap that she knows all about Al sleeping around and Tijuana.
1: She's very vindictive.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think
1: that's episode one of astronaut wife stuff. <laughs> that
0: little scene. Yeah. Um. It's an interesting scene, too, because Louise Shepard almost never gets anything to do in the show where Al is not in the scene with her. So this was sort of interesting that she, you know, she had a scene without Al in it. And it's tense. Like, these women, you could, oh man. Rawr, like, they don't like each other.
1: Yeah, it's very and much like the astronauts, right?
0: And Yeah. Well, again, you know, they're all competing with each other, right? Exactly. Um, and then, uh, you know, we cut back to, uh, to Louise in the hotel room after this confrontation with Mrs. Carpenter. Um, and Al doesn't know that this has taken place. And she kind of, at least in the short term, because she knows the flight is coming, she doesn't want to rile Al. So she just kind of pretends it didn't happen. Yeah. Which is also sort of a complex way to portray her, you know? Like they, it would have been it would have been worse if they had had them sort of have her go in and confront Al. Like it's actually, you know, it gives you a glimpse into the mechanics of how the marriage works. Yeah. Um, Gus, N. Sorry, Gus, Glenn, and Al all head to the Cape from the hotel in a little uh, white van, and we see that uh, NASA has uh, written a press release in the event that Al dies. They've actually written the news stories before the flight both ways so that they have a press release in case al lives and in case al dies and al gets the uh, interesting experience of getting to read and approve his own obituary uh, while he's still alive hmm. um we then uh, cut to al and john eating the traditional astronaut low residue breakfast of steak and eggs which is essentially a callback to the opening scene of the entire series and episode uh, one, uh, right. The first Sierra scene. hotel, right. First scene of Sierra hotel. Um, and then um, I actually thought that they were going to, you know, do that scene over or maybe do it in more detail, but they really don't like you just see them sitting there eating their steak and eggs. And it's, it is understood that, you know, what has happened already between the two men and what, Al said about him basically knowing what John did. Yeah. Um. Go ahead. You were going to say something. So, um. So Al then gets his pre-flight physical, and this is sort of like the ultimate moment where Glenn realizes, like, oh, Al's not going to step in a pothole, you know, or get the flu. Like, yeah, he's going. Like he's going and I'm, I'm standing here empty-handed. Um, yeah, and he's just sort of stewing in his own juices, you know. Like he realizes it's not his day. Like, and you know, like if you know if Al had like tripped, you know, John would have been like, "Oh, I'm ready to step in and do the flight." You know what I mean? Like, right? It's not gonna happen. And Al is an exceptionally good sp- uh, spirits, you know. Um, and then when, just to sort of add insult to injury, when when Al passes his physical, the doc says to Glenn, you're done for now, like, don't need you anymore. Like, as yeah. they would say on Star Trek, you know, he's Captain Dunsel. Remember that? Yeah. Um, and then we see uh, Louise in the bar, and she has a drink with none other than Von Braun. I have a feeling that that never happened in real life. So now I don't think that... When they're putting the first, uh, or getting ready to put the first American in space, Von Braun was hanging out at the hotel bar, but it's a good scene for the two of them. Yeah. Um, and then there's a really nice scene where Al suits up, right? He's happy, he's victorious. Like, this is it. Like, he's really, like, he's, he's won. Like, he's got the coveted first flight. He's going to do it, right? Maybe he didn't get there before Yuri Gagarin, but he got there before all these other guys that he says to see every day.
1: Right, he's still victorious, right?
0: You know. Yeah, he's victorious with like a lowercase V, I guess. Right. Um, but you know, like he's you know, he's he's happy that you know that the program didn't get canceled in the you know, in the wake of Gagarin's flight, you know. I don't know, it's a good scene. Like there's not a lot of times where you kind of feel like you're really in Al's corner in this show but this was, I thought that this was one of them. Like this scene is really good. And we've seen this astronaut suiting up scene in a lot of other shows and movie. Like, I think it might be best done in a, in Ron Howard's Apollo 13. Um, and there's like sort of heroic music in the, in that scene in Apollo 13, but it's just, it's nice because it conveys to the, to the viewer. Like we're almost there. We're almost there. Like we're really going to go. um, and then there's a really good scene that's a nice little uh, scene in Mercury Control where they are getting online. And there's like there's a palpable excitement in the air because this is not an unmanned launch. Right. This isn't a this isn't a, a test or a simulation like they're they're really going to do it. Suborbital. Oh, yeah, that's disappointing. Yeah. Um, And then it's raining. um, And. Uh, Gilruth is sort of looking out the window, and he and Kraft talk, and they realize that they do still have a very, very brief launch window at 8 a.m., where they can literally launch the rocket between sort of storm fronts. But Gilruth, who's extremely worried that if they fail, the program will be shut down, decides to scrub due to weather, which did happen in real life. Um I think Al was supposed to fly on the 2nd of May and he flies on the 5th, I believe. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but this is actually uh, alluded to in <clears throat> episode one of From the Earth to the Moon, where they show you know, uh, representatives of NASA saying, you know, we will have a man up on the, I think they say the 2nd of May. And then they cut to Al's flight on, on May 5th. Um, so this is, you know, this is interesting too, because, you know, when we get to Al's flight, like we've seen Al's flight in a couple of different, uh, media portrayals. So it'll be, it's sort of interesting to compare. Um, so anyway, so they, they scrub, um, and then Al is, is, so he gets a little, I don't know, like he just slips a little bit and he's seen by reporters in his suit and they realize that the first american is going to be al shepard right because remember they had maintained this ridiculous fiction right that they're They it wouldn't release it.
1: and yeah. glenn was the favorite right so
0: right exactly this is the um,
1: time where they realize it's not gl- nobody you know like the uh what's his name the press the life magazine guy now glenn realizes that, yeah it's not glenn
0: yeah and then he actually tells Glenn, like when he realizes like, oh my God, it's Al. He actually tells Glenn in his opinion, it should have been him going first. Um, And then uh, Louise comes to meet Al. Al is bitterly disappointed. And he just kind of feels like they needed more nerve. Like they just wanted to go, you know, and then he kind of is hoping that Louise is going to be sympathetic. And then it, the whole thing blows up in his face, and Louise says, "I'm leaving. Like I'm, I'm flying out of here. I'm not hanging around anymore." Um, which is, you know, she just openly says, "Like you've humiliated me with all this whoring, essentially." Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't stay here anymore. And it's sort of at the moment of his biggest triumph, like his big mistakes come back to haunt him, and he, you know, he loses. The support of the person he needs the most yep you know louise never left al like they stayed married through and, and you know as and among astronauts and this is saying something al was famous for having a lot of women um and louise you know like when like when these marriages ended left, right, and center over all sorts of infidelity. Like Louise and Al, they stayed married until his death. And she actually dies very shortly after him. Uh, But it is interesting that like she stuck it out. I don't think a lot of women would have done that.
1: Yeah, I wonder maybe they had an arrangement or something kind of like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I somehow I don't think that that uh, that you know they had arranged they could each do things, I imagine she probably I could be wrong, but I imagine she probably wasn't doing what he was doing maybe maybe she figured, well, this is who I married and or maybe she was religious, and divorce wasn't part of her lexicon. You know what I mean, yeah, who knows, yeah. Uh, but she, but anyway, but she, she says to to Al, like, I know all about John Glenn having to fix you getting caught with this woman in Tijuana, and I had this terrible confrontation, and I'm humiliated and angry, and and that's it. Um, and then Al uh, and Glenn have a little confrontation where they uh, end up on the roof of the building, literally and metaphorically pushing their relationship right to the edge.
1: Not my favorite scene.
0: Yeah. Also like kind of annoyingly filmed from above too. And then Glenn uh gives Al some pablum about like it wasn't God's plan for him to go up today, which is just not what Al wants to hear.
1: Ooh, it just it was uncharacteristic even for John Glenn. It's just not a good scene.
0: Yeah. It's it's well and the other thing too is it it um it takes it takes a lot of the momentum out of the show. Like if the show is all buildup, and you think that episode seven is gonna culminate in Freedom Seven's flight, and it doesn't. Yeah. Right. And it, it, right. It, it culminates in this unpleasant confrontation between the two men who do not and will not like each other. Al tells John he's a sanctimonious ass, and John tells Al that nobody likes him. And then Al Al says They're both right. Well, it's interesting, and, and then Al says. In response to John saying that nobody likes him, Al says, people want to be me. And John says, I don't want to be you. <laughs> right. I mean, like, the gloves are off. Um, and then John, uh, sorry, Al walks to the edge and invites John to, to push him off the edge so that he can be first. Oh, yeah, yeah, really, you know, John, goofy. Yeah. And then John says, I can find love for you in my heart. By the way, it makes you realize that if a shred of this is accurate, John was probably pretty hard to be around too.
1: I think I'd rather hang out with Shepard after this scene.
0: <laughs> yeah, like in push comes to shove, I guess so. No, no pun intended about them on the edge. Um, but you know, you know, it's. I, I mean, I guess this is. Um, you know, like this is the this is the right stuff TV show really trying to to go in its own direction, right? We haven't seen this aspect of the Mercury astronauts' relationships in any other media.
1: Really. That's true, but oh boy. I just don't people didn't speak to each other like that, especially not test pilots and Mercury astronauts in 1961. I just can't see it.
0: But Peter, I want you to know there's I have love for you in my heart. <laughs> Don't push well, me yeah. up this edge. Right. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. It's, 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 it's very, I mean, it's hard to imagine this conversation really happening and you could imagine probably much more likely if they just didn't talk.
1: Right. They just basically said, I hate that guy, the two of them. And then everybody knew it. And that <laughs> was that.
0: Right. <laughs> well, you know, to flip it over, um, they aren't, you know, the guys who play Al and John. Um, Jake McDormand is Al and Michael Trotter. Sorry, Patrick Adams is John Glenn. You know, they do do a good job because you really do feel the tension between the characters and the conflict and friction in their personalities. Like, like, you got to give McDormand and Adam their credit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you really yeah. don't like Al, and you you went from liking John to not liking John, which I'm sure was a difficult, dramatic feat for the actor to pull off.
1: No, they, they make him seem like um, more real and more well-rounded, I think, characters and people than uh, than the sort of script... Uh, writes them, and then the dialogue portrays them at least. So they actually are commendable to me, um, their performances.
0: Yeah. The show definitely has its downsides, but, you know, I mean, these guys are taking their roles seriously. Um, and that's how the episode ends. The episode ends up on the rooftop. Um, and then we've just got one more episode left in the season which uh not to give anything away but it's going to be the flight of uh freedom seven at last
1: i think that most of the final episode takes place on the rooftop
0: (laughs) all but the last you know last 12 minutes (laughs) (sighs) could you imagine how these guys felt knowing the russians did it first like i guarantee you it was the last thought before they fell asleep and the first thought when they woke up, you know, like there must have been a period there where like the the, the disappointment must have been crushing.
1: I mean, I'm sure it gave him tremendous heartburn because for every reason, that was a huge defeat.
0: Yeah. And yeah, like in every possible way. and And Gagarin is by was by all accounts you know such a winning guy like everybody liked gagarin and you know like he looked handsome and he was well spoken he did he did a world tour you know met with the queen of england all that and you know right While that's all happening these guys you know can't get off the ground
1: yeah you know he seemed to have um, some charisma and magnetism even for a dirty commie You know, like, seriously, like, he he just, he was photogenic, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, they picked, they they couldn't have picked somebody better. Seriously.
0: Yeah, no, no well, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's true. It was going to come down to him or Leonov, but they picked uh, him. You know, that uh, sometime after his flight, he got caught by his wife in bed with another woman. And he literally jumped out the window, and he had, a like, a, Prominent scar, I think, on his eyebrow for the rest of his life that he incurred leaping out the window. With Gagarin, <laughs> that's pretty awesome.
1: See, he had uh, more in common with the American astronauts than
0: yeah. He would he would have gotten along with uh, with Al. <laughs> oh, now that God. is an idea for a series. Yeah. Um. Who's I gonna say? Yeah, uh, I, I you know I read Gagarin's. Biography, which is called Starman, and I read it so long ago I've practically forgotten a lot of the details. I should probably go back and reread that. You know, uh, one interesting thing about Gagarin is, um, um, you know, obviously the, the communists were, you know, secular and, and Gagarin was famously quoted as saying during the flight, something to the effect of like, I was up in heaven and I didn't see God. Like, there were various versions of this quote, and, and that was sort of touted as like a victory for communist philosophy. But he never actually said that. Like like many, many years later when the transcripts of Vostok 1 were released, uh, that didn't appear. That was just like pure PR. It's kind of interesting. Yep. Yep. He did say,
1: strangely enough, uh, open the pod bay doors, please, Hal.
0: <laughs> open the pod bay doors, Hal. <laughs> that was a terrible Russian accent. Oh, my God. I thought my Russian pretty, accent's usually better. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> um, all right, well, should we wrap there?
1: Yep. Um, and, you know, God bless you if you're still watching the series with us <laughs> after the roof scene.
0: Yeah. We've talked a little bit offline. It it's 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 kind of you know, I have said this before, like the show is kind of missing the critical ingredient of, of fun or levity, you know? Like I think that they just kind of didn't understand how far that would go.
1: Or I mean I don't I get I don't know if there's a substitute for a little levity um i you know i i don't think there is because the fact is that the country was so uptight and even the concept of having you know as wolf sort of um you know tom wolf sort of puts it there there they were the american gladiators
0: right single combat warriors wolf calls them right i
1: mean it, it the whole thing is so it's so, uh, it's sort of a crazy barbarian concept, right? It's barbaric, right? And it's goofy and it's funny, you know, I mean, you understand it because there's a, there's a certain gut truth or an appeal to it, right? But it's also kind of ridiculous. Mm. Um, but, but so, so to me, the, the only way to look back on that in a, in a sort of reasonable way is with some humor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and again, like, you know, we had a similar conversation over on our movie podcast uh about uh, First Man, the Neil Armstrong biopic, and that was also completely humorless. And, like, somehow that movie made going to the moon depressing. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Like, the, you, there's a, you know, like, I think, you know, the right stuff obviously has a lot of humor. Apollo 13 does not have a lot of humor but it it deploys it strategically to break the tension and it works yes um and from the earth to the moon makes makes pretty pretty good use of humor having like for example one whole episode that's pretty comedic and all the other episodes usually have one or two sort of lighthearted moments you know to sort of to sort of give the viewer a break I don't know, but again, I guess it's just a decision. You know, this is how they wanted to do it, but it'll be interesting to see if the show retools in the second season. Like, does the tone change? Does the showrunner change, you know?
1: Yeah, that would actually be interesting. You know, like, I guess if they do get a second season, they're not going to have infinite license to make a show that's maybe borderline surviving right so are they going to just go for it
0: right and maybe go faster and like for example you know we're going to do this entire season and do one flight there's five more manned mercury flights after freedom seven um and that you know presumably they're going to have whatever another eight episodes which means they're going to have to have a lot more flight oriented episodes
1: i mean they should have done like some kind of joint show or something with russian tv and like showing each other's sort of yeah alternated i mean there's so many things they could have done right
0: yeah the russian stories are really interesting too but again we don't get any of that here but i guess we're supposed to know what they know like they don't you know what i'm saying like they're totally in the dark about the russians so we're in the dark about the russians in this series like you know we find out about vostok one with them from shorty powers
1: no no i get that i'm just saying they had they could have had you know the the god's eye viewpoint like they could have done anything with the show and they could have moved back and forth among different viewpoints um yeah you know they could have done whatever they wanted
0: but they ended up going with a very sort of straight linear narrative
1: yeah it's dead and sometimes it moves into a worse than sanctimonious
0: yeah. And, 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 it, and it also, it, it has a, it tends sometimes to feel sort of workmanlike, you know, Equally, like it, yeah. it doesn't feel inspired, you know, in the way that, you know, this just should be inspiring stuff. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah. know, but I, again, look, I, I mean, I guess maybe they felt constrained like they couldn't do what the movie had done. You know what I mean? Like maybe they felt like if, if they tried to do the movie, they would only come out on the worst end of things.
1: I wonder how constrained they are being on Disney, if that matters. Well,
0: I don't know. I mean, there's no shortage of uh, talk of infidelity and, you know, people cavorting in other people's beds. So, I mean, I think they're, they're getting away with what they think they can get away with. You know, the, the, I mean, the weird thing was when Baby Yoda showed up in the background. You know, that was interesting cross-marketing. Well, if they did that, they'd have good ratings. Grogu. Did you know that Baby Yoda's actual name is Grogu. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Well, I like we should it, we should I like it, they got
1: offended that people were calling it baby Yoda <laughs> instead of the child, <laughs> right trying right. to some sort somehow of control that message like are you come on, take a good thing <laughs> and go with it,
0: right Let them call it whatever they want as long as they're watching.
1: But and baby Yoda's a hundred times better than calling it quote the child. It doesn't say anything. The child. I mean, that could be my kid. It's baby Yoda. <laughs> it is baby Yoda. I mean, just saying baby Yoda makes you want to watch the show. I mean, it makes you curious. There's a baby Yoda. I mean, that's what. What's with the baby Yoda?
0: Yeah, Peter. This is the way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's almost like Lucas was involved, like that whole the child thing. That just
0: it seems reeks like, Luke, Lucas. yeah,
1: it reeks of like Lucas showed up and was like humorless and crazy.
0: Well, but I've said before that Dave Filoni, who's a showrunner with John, well, he he and John Fro I guess John Favreau is a showrunner, but Filoni's fingerprints are all over the the Mandalorian. I mean, Filoni understands Star Wars better than Lucas. I really believe that. Like you yeah. watch the Clone Wars. And it doesn't make all the dumb Lucas mistakes. Like, it's kind of like all the yeah. best things of Star Wars without all the, mis- you know, the mistakes or the going back and changing stuff a million times or the, or the idiotic cute stuff that doesn't hold up and nobody likes. Yeah, Star no Wars way. is, I'm telling you, like, I think of all the people who have ever had their hands behind uh, Star Wars, I think after Irvin Kirshner, who directed Empire, I think Gabe Filoni's right there. Anyway, listen, we should break. All right. All right, we'll be back next time for our final episode of season one. Uh, Thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time.